And we've made it to uh, 13th of May, the last chapter in which Carrie's Weird ends, chapter 21. Content warnings, head injury and fire for this one. Um, and again, a relaxed alcoholic character. Chapter 21. I have you now, my pretty, in which Carrie's Weird ends. 13th of May. Carrie groaned as pain thumped through her skull, not helped by the faint smell of car exhaust. Her mouth and throat were dusty and dry, but her clothes were wet. Her hair was wet, but it didn't feel like water. The smell was chokingly strong, headache-inducing. It took a moment for her to realise she was lying on something hard. She opened her eyes fully and saw the blood on the floor. He had dragged her into the kitchen, the back door, she realised, the back door was unlocked and dumped her in the back passage near the cellar door. It wasn't car exhaust she could smell. It was petrol. There seemed to be a lot of blood. A small pool of it, a dripping trail leading away into the kitchen. She tried to sit up, but her wrists were stuck. No, bound. What with? She struggled. Her head spun, pounding. This has really got to stop happening, she thought. There seemed little point in screaming. She couldn't find her voice, her throat's too dry. It seemed like only yesterday Ricky Porter had accosted her over the fence, mere moments ago that she found the music box in the attic. How the hell had it come to this? All she'd done was buy a house. A masculine, spicy fragrance made Carrie's heart flutter, then sink. Guy Bishop, pale even with his book lover's tan, as her dad would have called it, heaved her bodily over onto her bound wrists. She croaked out a pained yelp. The reek of stale bourbon hit her over the petrol. At these closer quarters, she recognised the smell of an all-nighter, the wildness of a gambler who'd played to win and lost. She'd seen that look before. He had rolled his shirt sleeves up, and Carrie wondered if his arms had ever seen the sunlight. She focused on a strong blue vein, swallowing her disbelief and trying to get to grips with her situation. "'I should have taken care of you myself like Dad wanted,' I muttered, rambling feverishly. Never killed anyone before. Never hit anyone before. I sell books. I'm not a fucking gangster. What the fuck? What the actual fuck? He took a shuddering breath. Should have done it before. Then Dad could have could have died of natural bloody causes. Not, not how he went. Not like that. He shook his head, looking sick. Now Dad's... And Mark? My God, I went to see him this morning. My God. 
because you had to wake up that fucking ghost. She had always thought of Guy's brown eyes as being warm, but now all that warmth was fever rather than kindness. The same fever tinged his cheeks beneath his beard, giving his face its only flare of colour, aside from the dark circles under his eyes, puffy like bruises, as if grief and lack of sleep had been a double physical blow. Guy, what's happened? What's wrong with you? He grimaced, red-faced. She saw the silver glint in his hand. The ceiling swam as she fought to focus. Guy, please, please don't. You don't have to do this. She had to keep him talking. Fairwood's avatar would be back and the house would protect her, save itself. What was taking so long? What happened? What happened with your dad? Guy, I'm so sorry. I... Won't you talk to me? Tell me. Tell me what happened. Guy paused but didn't lower the lighter. Carrie tried to moisten her lips and tasted blood and petrol. What... What actually happened in 1958? The temperature plummeted. She shuddered, her arms goose-fleshed with a sudden chill, but Guy seemed not to notice. He was quiet for a moment, then backed off a pace, leaning into the door jamb. She wriggled onto her side to see him, chest tight with fear. Something metallic and cold dug into her wrists. What was it? A belt buckle? Where are they? There was no sound from the kitchen. Fairwood's avatar wasn't anywhere around, the house's consciousness displaced and unable to help her without it. She shouldn't have left the cottage. She shouldn't have gone back alone. He was dying, my dad. Guy was speaking so quietly she had to strain to hear him. He was only... only in his twenties. They couldn't do anything for him, the doctors. He was only human, so the surgery wouldn't help. He ground his teeth. She heard that clearly, more clearly than his voice. Something was forming on the ceiling above her, something shapeless and malevolent, drained of innocence and left for dead in the dark. Mrs Hillsworth had more years than she needed. I'm not saying it was right what they did. I'm not saying... He trailed off. Uncle Mark, he begged the Pendles to help, and Janet wanted to help too. She was about 19 at the time and she'd do anything for Beverly. But I think she had a thing for my dad. She was always... And Mrs Hillsworth didn't want to give her years up. But they said, they said when it was explained to her, she was fine. She did it gladly, except, he swallowed, except they had to, they had to kill a little girl, Carrie finished for him, unable to hide her disgust. She had seen the photographs and Mrs Verity Hillsworth had looked far from glad. Kathy Ross was with them now, listening. He was too drunk or too numb to notice the palpable oppression, crushing the breath out of her too lost in his own grief and the monstrous embrace of the past. It was... Dad didn't know about that part, I'm sure. He couldn't have. But they'd have arrested him. They'd have... Guy broke off, shaking his head. But Carrie didn't think he believed it. Dad got the years from her and then medicine moved on, you know. Doctors could help. I know he was in a home and he was he was really frail, but he had a good life, a better one, and I'm here because of that, and I... He stopped. Carrie could feel him looking at her. I let him down. He took a deep, audible breath. I let him down because I didn't get rid of you. Guy, Carrie tried, but he jerked away from the doorframe as if her pity burned like acid. He's dead because of you. They're both dead because of you. Guy, Carrie quivered, bracing herself. He struck the lighter. 
the low flame danced in his hand. Carrie closed her eyes, screwed them tight and thought of her family. Cathy Ross rushed over her in a freezing blast of energy, forcing Guy off his feet. To Carrie, one moment he was on his feet and the next he wasn't there. She fought the pain in her head, forcing herself to sit and wriggle to the stairs. She tried to hook her hands on the edge of the last step, tugging at the belt to loosen it. Her hands came free, the leather edge grazing her skin. Her heels struck the trapdoor to the coal cellar as she struggled free. She was on her feet in time to smell the smoke and see through the open door of the utility room a blazing pillar in the kitchen falling to its knees. If that was Guy, he didn't scream. He didn't make a sound. And then the curtains caught. No! This time Carrie didn't freeze. She tried to run in to beat it out with something, anything, forgetting the petrol soaking into her clothes, dripping down the ends of her ponytail. Something pushed her back. A dark force gathered in the doorway like a thundercloud. Carrie fought it but resisted. Her only option was to go past the back stairs and through to the entrance hall. I can't do this, Carrie whispered, holding her head. God, I can't do this. I can't. I can't. I can't. But she dragged herself there anyway. Carrie couldn't remember getting out. The lawn spiralled up to meet her hands, but she caught herself and staggered upright. Where am I? She saw Fairwood's avatar in the middle distance, but her head was pounding. Petrol, smoke, blood, burning, all acrid in her labouring lungs. She threw up. Behind her, the crows was on fire. No, she coughed, staggering back towards the flames. No, no. He caught hold of her from nowhere. Cor, you look bad. Ricky Porter. She squinted up at him and realised she was on the ground. Fairwood's form was smoking, crumbling, crawling across the grass towards her as flames licked out of its body. No! She tried to reach it, but Ricky was holding her. Carrie, this is it, Ricky told her. Make it count. She didn't know what he was talking about. What took you so long? He was gentle, his touch light. She slumped over. Where the hell have you been? His face, bloodied but familiar, floated above her in a blur. It's bloody hard work getting out of the cottage when the parentals don't want you to leave, he said. If you'd left me there, your house would have saved you. It's not the way I thought it'd go, I've got to be honest. I had something more direct in mind when I saw it'd be my fault. But we can't change it now, can we? Carrie let the words wash over her, not understanding them. She tried to touch her head, but he pushed her hands back down. No, no, don't. You're fucked. He got you good. Ricky pulled her up a little. Carrie, this is important. Listen, you're dying, all right? Trying to fix it ain't going to work. It's a waste of time. I've seen it. But maybe, maybe you could still save her. I don't know. Fairwood's burdening avatar was reaching for her, leaving a charred strip of grass in its wake. My head hurts, Carrie mumbled. She was moving somehow, legs bumping uselessly on the grass, The world spun a kaleidoscope of colour and confusion. Ricky was dragging her. Come on, one thing left to do. Make a wish. What for? She kicked at the grass, not sure if she should be helping him or fighting him off, but there was no fight in her. He propped her up against the well. Hadn't the well been further away? Petrol still snarled in her nostrils. Her life was going up in smoke and flames. She tugged her necklace off clumsily, snapping the chain and nearly dropped it into the grass. He pressed it into her hand, closing her fingers around the pendant. 
the broken chain dangled, glinting. She stared at it, thinking of her parents, not sure what was going on. Help me, she said. Ricky heaved her up and the world lurched and spun from fire to wet stone. Bloody hell, I shouldn't be doing this. This is how you die. I saw it. Carrie tried to study him but couldn't focus. He had hold of her, stopping her from falling in. For a moment she thought he was going to let go, a vague recollection of how the well worked swimming upstream into her mind. Her anchor to humanity was in her hand. My head hurts, she whispered, disorientated. Ricky dug his fingertips into her arm and snarled in her ear. I can't change anything. I saw it. You end today. It all ends. Make a bloody wish. Carrie held her fist out over the well. Her choices melted. The weird weaved warp and weft. She opened her fist and her necklace dropped into the stony depths, plopping below the muddy water with barely a sound. Carrie closed her eyes, thinking about Fairwood. She made her wish, and the world went dark. Her time was up. If she didn't make a wish, she'd lose it all. The house would die, and all that would be left was Eglantine Valmai Pritchard's protection spell with no consciousness left to override it. That's what you got for letting a Welsh move in with power in their bloody poetry. He dug his fingertips deep into her arm and snarled in her ear. I can't change anything. I saw it. Make a bloody wish. Carrie held her fist out over the well. Her lips didn't move. Her fist opened and the necklace dropped into the stony depths, plopping below the muddy water with barely a sound. There was a bleed on her brain, slow but unstoppable. He could sense it, smell death creeping over her behind the telltale bruising around her eyes. She went limp in his arms, suddenly heavy. Weird Bith Fullerad, fate is inexorable. He let her fall to the grass, the unfamiliar chest-cinching feeling squeezing like a vice. She was dead before she hit the ground. The avatar was crawling towards them, a cracked and blackened husk as the blaze spread from room to room. Cathy Ross appeared in the kitchen window as he watched, outlined in fire. A small thing she was, a frail thing, a morsel of innocence hung up in the dark a husk of vengeance burning her prison down. This wasn't the deal, Ricky yelled. Oi, you little bitch, this wasn't the fucking deal. He looked down at Carrie. She wasn't breathing. Her head lolled like one of his mother's doll daughters. He'd won. He'd got what he wanted. The future had streamed forth from the guts of the Blue Moon Girl, telling him he would, telling him he would change, he would get the stone, he would get the house, and the rest was collateral damage. He'd won, hadn't he? The only living thing in Fairwood, master of all. Except he hadn't pictured it on fire, and Carrie wasn't breathing. Ricky squirmed, battling something nameless and unfamiliar. It didn't feel like a victory. It felt like a trick. What did you wish for? he asked the lifeless body, but like Gerald, she didn't reply. He fought his quickening breaths, trying to think clearly. He could preserve her. He could stuff her skin, dress her up and keep her somewhere. Or maybe he could let her rise, all mindless and starving, and nail her to the floor like his mother did with her little favourites, for her own good. Yes. Yes, it wouldn't be the same, but he could still talk to her, muzzle her and sleep beside her. She wouldn't be warm, but she'd be like his... 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 friend. His chest seized, forcing out tears in a bitter sob. You said... You said I'd get what I wanted, 
he growled, panting, addressing the voice in his head. You miserable old bastard! I'm fucking done! I'm done! The corpse burst into flames. Ricky leapt back, tugging off his hoodie and wrapping her in it, rolling her over, beating at the blooming roses of fire as they ripped through her clothes. Bloody hell! His human skin blistered and burned, flaking off as what was underneath resisted the heat. As he beat the fire out, the avatar stopped blazing and the fire in the house also began to subside. Kathy Ross's dead face distended in the window as she snarled, vaporised and blew away into a cloud of black smoke. She wasn't gone, though. No, things like her were tough to get rid of. He'd find her. The window exploded outwards in a shower of broken shards. Fuck you, Ricky muttered, hands red raw. He turned his attention back to Carrie's corpse, lying face down and smoking on the grass. He rubbed his face with both hands, ignoring the blistering pain in them. He had lost something he couldn't name. The void it left frightened him, and he didn't know why. He glanced behind him at Fairwood's avatar, sprawled on its belly with an outstretched arm reaching for Carrie. As he watched, the avatar crumbled into ash, leaving a charred shape on the lawn. He rolled her over again onto her back and saw the bruising had disappeared, but now beneath her closed eyes the skin looked more like scorched wood. Shit. Carrie opened her eyes, windowpane grey. A network of broken capillaries spiderwebbed in one of them, matching the newly broken window. He recoiled. Did it work? she asked, oblivious. Shit me, he breathed, taking her in. You ain't her. What? Of course I am. Carrie sat up. What? What's wrong? She coughed up charcoal. Oh, God. What happened? Are we okay? Did it work? He didn't want to touch her. She won't be soft, won't be real, won't be what I wanted. What's the matter? Carrie asked. Ricky, it's okay. Look, I'm fine. I told you it was concussion. I blacked out or something, but I'm fine. I feel totally fine now. How long was I out for? Concussion didn't work like that. She must know that, surely. What did you wish for? He didn't like this feeling that clung to him like tar, made him cold like prey. She smiled. It worked, right? I'm not dead, am I? I don't know. He lifted his blistered hand but couldn't touch her. You ain't breathing. Carrie cleared her throat. Of course I am, see? No, you... She kneeled up and leaned closer, putting her cheek on his open palm. There, see? Calm down, mate. She was still soft. Soft like fabric. Soft like leather. Soft like Gerald. He relaxed. Yeah. The relief caught in his throat. All right, I take it back. He grinned, chest still tight. I liked your other eyes better. Carrie stood up. What are you talking about? I do feel a bit... I do feel weird. Different. She checked herself over carefully, running her hands down her charred clothes. He watched, following the path of her hands, wondering what she felt like now, if it was the same all over. That feeling was back. Not fear, the other thing. Pooling in his groin again, unexpected. Is this me? Or her? It was fleeting and didn't matter. So you were wrong, Carrie said with her familiar wry smile. The weird can be changed. He stepped back. She shouldn't be able to remember that. But she wasn't her, was she? 
Fairwood was speaking with her voice, remembering what he'd said, what he'd done. No, I was right. She shook her head. You can't have been. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Look at me. Her skin was like plaster stippled with old scars. Those eyes grey and clear as glass, blank as water. She looked over her shoulder for the avatar. Where's the... where's Fairwood? I'm looking at her, Ricky said. Well, we've made it to the epilogue. Um, so the epilogue is the 14th of May and the 16th of May. Um, no real content warnings for this one, I think. Uh, but yeah, it's implied. There's implied murder, gore, that sort of thing. Um, and we see the aftermath of the last 33 days. So... Um, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed it so far. Um, 13th, the next novel will be serialised in season two and actually starts um, in an overlap with the epilogue. So pay attention, I guess. Um, and I will see you after a break for season two. Um, but first, enjoy this last section of The Crows and I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, if you do want to get the book now that you've heard the whole thing, feel free. And I'm also going to be uh, releasing the cleaner audio versions uh, of this podcast as an audio book um, for The Crows itself. So you'll be able to buy the audio version um, as a whole thing without me kind of wittering on in the background. Um, yeah, uh, probably from my Kofi, um, and I'll have a look at other outlets for that so sign up to my newsletter cmrosens.com is where you'll find uh, the sign up bit um, on the home page um, and you'll be able to uh, get all of the latest information stuff like that I'll also be tweeting about it and I'll put a little um, notice on my insta um, so yeah um, stay tuned for those announcements Hopefully you'll enjoy uh, The Crows again in another format if you read it again. Hopefully you'll enjoy 13th if you want to read that. Um, Overexposure, which is my short story featuring Wes and his girlfriend Charlie. Um, and The Folklore of Pagamon Sea, Volume 1. 
which is just extracts from um, books that Harry Bishop has written <laughs> and um, some folklore that I created for the world. Um, and you can buy all of those from my Kofi shop. You can also buy them from Amazon's uh, and other retail outlets. So, yeah, epilogue. Here we go. Enjoy. Epilogue. Is this the end? In which Kathy pays Mrs. Wend a visit and some things are wrapped up to no one's satisfaction. 14th of May. Beverly Wend sat in the dark in the early hours of the morning, waiting for a ghost. She knew it was coming. She'd spent the day preparing for it, sensing its animosity approaching like a thunderstorm. She had veiled all reflective surfaces in the room, except for the mirror she wanted to use, an antique rosewood frame propped on a chair, angled perfectly to capture her entire body as she sat sewing a costume for Maisie Wend McVeigh's first school concert. The colonel lay in the morgue, a soulless shell. He wouldn't be going anywhere for a while, even if it was rising season. They say seeing spectres in mirrors is all about reflections of the self, she said to her own reflection, as the candle guttered and the electric light dimmed. Now, I think there's something in that. We look for apparitions in ourselves, don't we? Searching for contradictions, transgressions, something other, I suppose. She paused, losing her train of thought for a moment as the lights dipped and flickered. She took the time to put down her sewing, the needle glinting slyly among the folds of silk, struck a match and lit a candle. A small smile curled over her lips. Yes, I do think there's something in that, but perhaps not what they mean. I think a spectre who travels through mirrors doesn't know who she is, doesn't know what to reflect, has to steal and borrow. I'm sorry you never got to grow up, dear, I really am, but... She tilted her head. Needs must at the time. And you were so convenient, you see. Her teacup shattered in its saucer. Mrs Wend regarded it calmly, watching the spread of tea leaves among the shards. Well, I don't need our Ricky to read those, she said. Come on in, my dear. Don't be shy. Her reflection rose from the chair as Beverly sat facing it, her hands in her lap. How does it feel to play at being old, to wear my skin, even if it isn't real? Her reflection approached the glass with shuddering steps. That's it, Beverly said sweetly, and now her eyes were red as rubies. A little closer, dear, if you want to kill me. I'm afraid my Hector already did for my sister, Eileen. You remember her, of course. She was always one for luring the children. She gave a fond laugh and stirred the tea leaves with a stiff finger. Her reflection hesitated, then carefully stepped out of the mirror. That's it, my dear, Beverly entreated, beckoning, and the electric lights flashed as the candle flame burned black. It will all be over soon. Won't that be nice? Yeah, a gruff voice said in the dark shadows of the room. That'll be bloody lovely. Beverly turned, startled. Kathy Ross flew forwards with arms outstretched, and the lights went out. Sixteenth of May. Mercy was the first person Carrie called once she'd had a couple of days for it all to start sinking in. She couldn't explain this to anyone else. She thought of her mum and dad, but for some reason they got jumbled with other faces in her head, men with compasses and pencils, women with visions and ideas, all those who had constructed her over the years. She struggled to pick her most recent parents out of the crowd. 
Most recent parents? That couldn't be right. She needed someone who had at least one foot in the human camp. Someone who could help her. Someone who would listen. Besides, she had something Mercy would want to see. Mercy came over with Tina, a welcome addition, even though Carrie realised Tina had not yet formally apologised for trespassing as a nine-year-old and chalking her initials on the kitchen wall. The quiet chant of forgiveness in her 13th century soul encouraged her to let this go. She made them all tea, and they had heard the story from the beginning. Carrie didn't leave anything out this time, although Tina's face told her she probably should have done. This is insane, Tina said, evidently putting her feelings about Richard Edwin Porter to one side with heroic effort. Carrie could tell she'd been dying to interrupt during those parts of the story. I mean, are you sure you're... You look different, like you're wearing makeup, but I wouldn't say you look... She struggled for an appropriate word. Inorganic. Carrie snorted. Hey, wood isn't inorganic, thank you. But, well, look. She rolled up her sleeve and scratched at the scarring on her arm. Flecks of paint and plaster dust sprinkled onto her floorboards. Tina and Mercy leaned in, horrified and fascinated. What do I do? Mercy shrugged, taking the high road of blind optimism. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it it might not affect you much? Carrie stared at her well-meaning new friend. Mercy? I'm an actual house. Tina raised a hand. Um, I know people who are actually dead, but they seem to manage. This is technically another form of that, isn't it? There's some undead support groups I could link you up with. Tina seemed more radiant than the first time Carrie had seen her. More confident. She put this down to Wes and Charlie, and something warmed her chest where her heart used to be. The crypt song glowed through her piping, filling her with gentle harmonies. I don't have a pulse, if that qualifies me, Carrie said. Absolutely. Tina sipped her mug of tea. There's quite a few in town who can relate to that part, at least. Though you might also qualify as a... Sorry, not to be indelicate, but as a possessed object, and some of them are a bit funny about that. Mercy pulled a cushion onto her lap and hugged it to her chest, her mind running on another track. So, she said, you said there was something else? Is it, is it about the History Society? Did you find out what the Cathy Ross thing was about? Carrie winced. Yeah, this survived the fire. She pulled out the manila envelope that she, the other avatar, had taken from the colonel's safe. I was going to give it to Carrie, I mean me, to give to you, but then, um, you know, arson. There's hardly any trace of it, Tina noted. The fire. How did you? Carrie smiled. I learned to fix myself. Had a bath, filled in some gaps, you know, sandpaper. I watched a YouTube video. Are there many people who are houses? Or Carrie burst out laughing. No, it was a, it was a sculpture video. How to fix it if it's uneven, you know. Tina winced around a smile. Right, I wish I'd brought wine. Mercy took the envelope, her expression echoing Tina's sentiment. What's in it? Just, just look. Tina put her mug down, waiting. Mercy pulled out the photograph, an identical copy to the one Janet had tried to burn. She studied it, her face frozen. What? Tina demanded finally after a long, tense pause. What is it? What's her number? 98. Mercy handed the photograph to Carrie, who passed it to Tina for corroboration. The resurrectionist stared down at her lap, sucking her cheek. 98? 
Tina pushed a stray strand of russet hair out of her eyes and frowned. Oh, shit, yeah, I guess... I guess that does look a little bit like a nine. She was thirty-two, Mercy said. Thirty-two. Guy wasn't lying, was he? It's not just a story. She put her hand under her top where Carrie knew her own number was blotched onto her skin. Tina pursed her lips and handed the photograph back. Do you... Are you ready to tell us about it now? Carrie asked, remembering Mercy's reaction in the pub. Mercy's voice was flat. There's a story. A scary fairy tale, that's all. This witch wanted to live forever, so she stole away the years of people's lives. She was like a... Like a Pied Piper figure, you know? She lived in this mountain. She lured young children away. She gets defeated in the end by Amaranth, the hero... And part of her spell was this horrible rhyme. I can't remember it now, but you have to take innocence and hang it in darkness and drain it of all its light. And then you have to open a way to the other side. We call it the dark place. Where we go, you know, when we die and come back. She was shivering. Carrie put her arm around her and they pressed closer together. And that's... that's what Guy said they did for his dad. Tina glanced at Carrie. He was dying young, so they stole someone else's life for him. Mercy stared across the room. It's it's not supposed to be real. She lifted her top and revealed her birthmark. Carrie saw the blotchy port wine stain on the side of her tummy more clearly this time at these close quarters, the number livid on her skin. Look at mine, I've got loads. If someone wanted to, they could take them. Ten, twenty, all of them. I could die on my next birthday. She lowered her top and cuddled the cushion again. Carrie shuddered at the violation, remembering the curl in the photograph with his triumphant hand on Verity Hillsworth's wrist. Her throat was dry as brick. No, they couldn't do it again. I think they needed the energies. The pendle stone, the hearthstone from the old gamekeeper's cottage, they needed that to open the... What was it? The dark place? Yeah. Well, that's tricky. I bet Mrs. Wen's shrine in her cottage. I bet it's not strong enough. It's not old enough. This thing, it's part of me. She touched her breastbone. I can feel it. The Pendles used it to do magic, real magic with it for centuries. But the clan can't get at the Pendle Stone now, so they can't do it again. Well, Ricky can, but I know what he's doing with it because she trailed off, biting back the words. It's fine. It's fine if you're not human, Mercy said. I mean, I know it's not the same, but I'm not really either. If it helps, Carrie pursed her lips, forcing the faces of her human parents to the forefront of her mind. They swam up through the crowd of architects and builders until she saw them clearly, the original creators of Caroline Rickard. I want to call my mum. Mercy looked like she was about to hug her, but thought better of it. I'm so, so sorry, she whispered. Don't be. You warned me about the Wens, you warned me about Ricky. Tina said the seance wasn't a good idea... And I did it anyway, didn't I? Carrie leaned away. I did it all anyway, and then I couldn't stop. It was like, Ricky's right. I think I think he's right about all of it, the weird, your destiny being unchangeable. People follow patterns they can't see, but they're there. And I... She stopped. Do you think this is all supposed to happen? It was all going to happen exactly like this from the moment I saw this place? Tina shook her head, a dimple appearing in her cheek as she twisted her lips. No, I don't. I think there's a version where it's worse. Where you really died. Carrie looked at her, startled, but Tina shrugged. Well, you said Ricky told you on the lawn that it ended. 
He'd seen it end, that's what he told you. Tina picked up her mug again, arching her eyebrows. I think you were supposed to die for good. You know, not come back. Carrie frowned. He said that to her, to me, before, she said, remembering. In the kitchen, she was... I was drunk and he told me I was going to die. Then he put one of his tendril things into her, my ear and she struggled with the memory and I forgot. She shook her head. Fairwood didn't tell me. It didn't want me to know when it told him, well, it bullied him into trying to save me. But he shouldn't have. He's not supposed to interfere, is he? He's supposed to be an agent of destiny or whatever the hell he calls himself. He's not supposed to... She trailed off. Maybe it was just as well I did get to know him properly. They batch it, the whole family, Tina said. Mad, bad and dangerous to know. Like Byron, Carrie joked, recognising the quote. Well, they're definitely into their sisters. Mercy sprayed her tea across the floor. Yeah, about the zombies Letty Porter's got nailed to the floor. Carrie patted Mercy on, on her back as she choked. Do you think we ought to do something about that? The police never find anything, Tina said. The best we can hope for is that she doesn't get her hands on anyone new. Like who? Carrie asked. The homeless? Runaways? School kids? Randomers in their cars? Just wrong road, wrong time? Why do you think we moved away? Tina put a defensive arm across her middle, tilting her head. Look, I'm not, I'm not proud that they did that. Mum and Dad wanted out. I felt awful leaving everyone. Do you know what happened to, I think it's like 8% of people in my year at school? No, and neither does anyone else. Some are missing, some are definitely dead. It's the luck of the draw around here. Bert never blamed me, but I shouldn't have left. We shouldn't have left. I don't think it's right. There's nothing to blame you for, Mercy said. I didn't know you felt like that, T. There's no reason for you to feel... Tina shook her head. Don't, I know. I know there isn't, but that is how I feel. You're back now, Carrie pointed out. Maybe that was inevitable too. Everyone's got stuff here, even if they are human, Mercy said. That's that's what T's trying to say. You don't fit in properly unless you have your own stuff. You won't understand. Carrie grinned. Thanks. Well, when you need a bit of humanity, we're here, Tina winked. I mean, I say humanity, no offence, Mez. We're human passing, Mercy said primly, but I think Carrie knows what you mean. Carrie sighed. So that's it, is it? I mean, I could try wishing myself human, but... She shrugged. Who knows if it will work properly? What if that means I just end up a human corpse? And then there's the rest of it. Is that it, then? We can't do anything about anyone or anything. Well, that's not exactly true, Tina said. We can get really drunk. Can I get drunk? Carrie wondered out loud. Only one way to find out. Welcome to Pagamon Sea, Mercy said, straight-faced. Carrie's phone rang. Hold that thought. Carrie struggled off the sofa and answered it. Hi, Mum. Her mother's wail of relief was the herald to a massive rant at Carrie's failure to be in touch. How worried she'd been and how Carrie's dad had rung her to ask if anything was wrong, but how would she know Carrie never told her anything? Carrie didn't mind. She took the one-sided conversation into the kitchen, where the only trace of the fire was a dark patch on the floor tiles where Guy Bishop had stood. It wasn't as if he was the first person to die in the house, or even in the kitchen, but she tried not to look at it. I'm fine, Mum. I'm really sorry. I've been busy with my job, making friends, you know. So you have made friends then, her mother sniffed, teary and doubtful. I was worried, Caroline. Had a minor house fire, but it's as good as new now. Her mother didn't take this well. 
What? Oh my God, Caroline. Everything's fine, Carrie assured her. And I found myself a lodger, so I'm not on my own anymore. Fully vetted and we get on really well. Through the kitchen window, a figure in grey was watching the house through the trees. She smiled. Mum, I'm sorry, I'm going to ring you back. I've got people over, but I'm fine, I promise. Love you. Caroline Rose, don't you dare hang up this phone. Carrie hung up. She folded her arms, watching Ricky through all of her back windows at once. Where the hell have you been? Long story, but Gran's dead. Family's in a right state over it. Got a ghost in a jarry, a bloody frisky she is. Tell you in a minute. Whose car is that out front? Mercy and Tina are here. All right, I'll go through the tunnel. He disappeared from view, slipping between the trees. Carrie smiled. She wasn't going anywhere. Eldritch Girl will return in the autumn with season two, which will be the serialisation of 13th, the next novel set in Pagamon Sea. 13th has a different feel to the crows and features Katie Porter, who had a brief cameo at the end of the crows chapter four, and Wes Porter, who had a cameo in chapter 16, as main characters. In this book, you get to see all the weird Eldritch stuff from the inside and from the perspective of people who think it's normal. It leans more to horror comedy it's been compared with shows like Grimm, which did have a bit of an influence on it, and What We Do in the Shadows, but with eldritch gods rather than vampires. It's got some Monster of Ellenhaven meets Wyborn and Griffin meets Hannibal Rising vibes. Here's the blurb. Lovecraftian horror meets kitchen sink drama in this dry, darkly funny tale of toxic families, killers and cannibals, eldritch body horror and anti-hero female rage. Katie Porter is the 13th child of a 13th child in an inbred family of eldritch horrors, and her own eventual metamorphosis will change her into a creature that hungers for her family's flesh. To some, she's a threat. To others, a weapon. All Katie wants to do is finish college and go backpacking with her mates, but as her changes creep ever closer and her protector is horribly murdered, that's not looking too likely. Katie needs allies, but she's stuck with her oldest brother, a drug-addled playboy who voted to have her killed, but is chaotic enough to have genuinely changed his mind, and her eyeball-eating, godlike cousin, whose idea of protecting her involves abduction, dark rituals, and encouraging her homicidal side. If anyone is going to survive Katie's transformation, including Katie herself, scores need to be settled and fears need to be faced, and Katie is not the only one who needs to face them. Thirteenth is an adult eldritch family drama with a Lovecraftian twist on Hannibal Rising meets Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, set in East Sussex. 
Content warnings for drug use, self-harm, toxic families, dubious consent and boundary pushing, emesis, suicide ideation, graphic violence, gore, body horror and strong language. The paperback is out through Amazon, the ebook is out everywhere and both contain five illustrations by Thomas Brown. If you want fuller content warnings and reader advisory, that's all on my website, cmrosens.com forward slash 13th. You can also buy the ebook direct from my Kofi shop. The theme tune is by Gemma Cartmel and here it is. Enjoy this jazzed up version and I'll see you soon. Bye now.